0: Hey, welcome to the Transforming Life Church podcast. We hope this encourages you and inspires you in your journey with Christ. So sit back, relax, and check out this week's message. Good morning. He's still part of my thunder because I'm used to, when I'm walking on stage, saying, hello, my name is Ken, and I get the privilege of being the executive pastor at rise Church. And so that's, that's part of my spiel, and so... i I almost don't know what to say but no, i'm so thankful to be here i'm thankful that i get the, the privilege of speaking to you this morning bringing god's word we're going to have a great time and just listen to what god has to say this morning and i'm going to tell you i love your pastors i love your pastors they are incredible um they took us in the very hard time in our life where we had been rejected in a place that we were worshiping and we needed a safe place for my kids to come and worship and you know when you're a parent that's like the most important thing. Got any parents in the room? Y'all get that? Now listen, y'all going to have to help me out this morning. I'm a talk back preacher. I want y'all to talk back. All right? I'm a holler. I'm a mover. I'm a walker. I'm probably going to fall off of this stage here because I'm not used to steps being right here. And I gonna probably take a step like that. You will probably freak out because you will see my toes hanging off the edge like this. But, But here's the thing. They provided a safe space for my teenagers to come and worship God and experience the presence of God after my teenagers have been rejected. They have a very special place in my heart. I have loved doing ministry with you guys and and loved the relationship that we have. and love, you know, anything I can do for this church, I'm going to do it because I just love you guys. I love you guys. They're special to me. Our church, this is your chance to earn brownie. They are special people. All right. All right. So we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit this morning about miracles. But, you know, let me ask this question. Have you ever went to eat at a place where the food doesn't match the decor? Have you ever been to that place where you walk in and you're like, ooh, fancy. And then you sit down and the food is, ooh, nasty. Or maybe you walked into a place and you're like, my goodness, when's the last time they swept this place out? But then you sit down and it's like the best food of their life. You know, there's a place like that off of Falkenburg. It's a little hole in the wall, it's a little shack. But let me tell you, the best burger I have ever had came from that little shack on Falkenburg. I can't even hardly remember the name Oftentimes, It's called Danny's All-American Diner. Incredible hamburgers. No inside seating. Nope. It's all outside. Little hole in the wall. Barely a bathroom. But oh, man, that seems incredible. Or what about this idea? Have you ever eaten at Ruth's Chris? Come on. Somebody loves steak. Come on. Come on. Or have you eaten at Texas Cattle Company? Yeah. Now see, now see. I hear the difference in the room because Plant City, you know, you're torn between Ruth's Chris Texas cattle, but if you've ever eaten a Texas Cattle Company, you ain't going back. to Mr. Chris.
1: They might look nice,
0: but let me tell you, if you want something that's going to melt in your mouth, you're going to melt it. Now, some of y'all are just like, "Okay, what time is he going to get done?" Texas Cattle Company, just call him my name. I'm only going to preach for about two, three hours. That's okay. Okay, we'll, we'll get it done. No, no.
1: But there's this idea
0: that 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 the decor should match the food. It's a big idea in food service. Because part of your experience is walking in and what you see. It's what you see. It's what you visualize. It's it's part of the experience. And and a lot of times, if you don't have that good visual experience, then it contains the food experience. And so there's this idea in the food industry. industry, It's called ambiance. That's a big old fancy word, ambiance. It just means the feel. It means the, the emotion that it elicits when you walk into the room, an ambiance. It's meant to draw you in and complete that dining experience, but sometimes it will throw you completely off. Like if you walk in Texas Cattle Company, you might not think that you're going to get as nice a steak at Cruz. But Let me tell you, the ambiance at Texas Cattle Company means we do meat. They know what they're talking about. Sometimes we see this idea in the American church. So let's talk real for a second because let's talk about our world. Our world is going through a struggle, it's going through a very difficult time. Our world is looking for something, it needs something real. If you look at what our world needs, they are desperate to find truth. Why? Because everything else is false news. So there's this this desperation to say, what's really real? What's really true? You have this whole cult of postmodernism. My truth is my truth, your truth is your truth. And it really is a cult that is snuck into the American church even. But there's this whole cult in American society of postmodernism that says nothing is absolutely true anymore. And so it's built this hunger and desire in people to find something that's really true.
1: There's this hunger and desire to find
0: something that's authentic, that's real in people. Why? Because all we see on the news, all we see on our TV is fake. All we see is people pretending to be something that they're really not. And then all of a sudden, we find out when we look behind the scenes, that all these people, they really got a lot of gross stuff in their life. So the world is looking for something real. It's looking for something genuine. And it's looking for something that will change their life. Because this this world is broken. It's hurting. It's lost. And they need something that will change it and fix it. This is why drug addiction and alcohol addiction is so rampant in our society. This is why you find people searching from place to place. This is why Tinder actually exists, because it's people looking for something or someone to change their life. They keep looking. They keep looking. And instead, to the American church. Which, let's be real, unfortunately, the American church has had the ambience, but for, for some of them, they have not had the real substance. We have to ask ourselves what kind of church will we be, because it's not the church that makes it; it's the people that's inside it. What kind of person will I be? Will I be a person of substance and ambiance, or will I just be a person with an outside facade, with just an ambiance? Oh, we can dress the right part, right? We can we can talk the right words. We can we can pray in King James. Oh, holy as thou art. We can do all that stuff is there something real? (laughs) See, this world is looking for something real. But oftentimes, we are looking for the wrong ambiance. Because there is an ambiance that God wants us to have. There is a feel that God wants us to have. He wants us to walk around with this feel. He wants us to walk around with this, this intangible thing that changes the way that people perceive and think. It's just attractive. And we can see this in the book of Mark, chapter 5. And we're going to look at the book of Mark, chapter 5. You have probably heard this story before, but I want to tell this story just a little bit different today. I want to tell this story in a way that maybe we haven't heard it before. The book of Mark was actually written not by an apostle, but we believe it was written by John Mark, who traveled with the apostle Paul. We believe that John Mark probably got some of his stories about Jesus and about what happened from Peter because he was a disciple of Peter and Peter walked with Jesus. That's probably the greatest source of Mark's material. And so this would have been a first-hand account that you can imagine to just picture John Mark writing down as Peter told him the stories of what happened with Jesus. This story that we find ourselves in is right after Jesus had traveled in a boat and he had gone across to a distant land. Gennesaret was the name of the town. And it was a place filled with unbelievers, filled with Gentiles, filled with people who were not Jews. And Jesus gets there and is immediately confronted by this demon-possessed man. And Jesus casts him out. And you'll remember the story, hopefully, that, that these demons, as Jesus addressed them, they asked Jesus... If they could go into a swine, a, a, a herd of pigs, a herd of swine. Jesus gave them permission, and the pigs all ran down the hill, cast themselves into the ocean. They all died. And the people of Genesaret said, hey, listen, you can't stay here. You've got to leave. They rejected Jesus. They rejected the man. They saw the man who, did the, who, who the miracle happened to, the demon-possessed man, sitting by a fire, calm, no longer demon-possessed, but they said, you've got to leave. You can't leave. And Jesus comes back after that trip, and here he lands on the shore and is immediately addressed by a synagogue leader who says, hey, listen, my daughter is in need. I need you to come. She's sick and she's ready to die. And this is where we pick up the story in verse 24. So Jesus went with him, and all the people followed, crowding around him. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with consistent lean. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them. But she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his throat. For she thought to herself, I can just... Touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him, so he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. how can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell on her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. You know, many of us have maybe heard this story preached. But I think every time that I've heard it preached, and I think every time that I've preached it, I've preached it from a singular perspective. I preached it from the idea, and you know, we we were taught in elementary school, Pastor Haley's an elementary school teacher, we're taught to put ourselves in the story, right? To picture ourselves in the story in a role. And oftentimes we're taught through this story to picture ourselves as the woman with the issue of blood. But I want to challenge that this morning. What if, in this story, God's intention is not only for us to picture ourselves as the woman with the issue of blood, but to picture ourselves in the place of Jesus? Because he's called us to be his hands and feet to this world. He's called us to bring in change to this world, right? He's called us to do something different, to change the atmosphere, the ambiance of the room. And his presence is with us to do that. What if we're supposed to look at this story not through the lens of the woman with the issue of blood, but through the lens of Jesus? See, Jesus had gone through suffering just a minute ago. What we would call suffering because he had been rejected by people when he had done nothing wrong. Jesus, not only had he been through that moment that we would call suffering because we've been rejected, right? Is that suffering? It feels bad. It hurts. But Jesus also had a picture. We don't know how much he knew, but he had a picture of what he would go through on the cross. He knew that he was designed to suffer and die. He may not have known the exact details of it, but he knew what was coming. He was already prophesying to the disciples that the the, the Messiah would die. The Messiah would, would suffer. So he knew what he had gone through, and he knew what was to come. And yet Jesus carried the presence of God. But let's look at this woman, because to give you an understanding of what he was dealing with when he met this woman, we need to understand what she was going through. She had suffered with an issue of blood for 12 years. This issue of blood was almost similar to a menstruation issue where it just didn't stop. Now this would have severely affected her in all of society. Because when when a woman suffered a menstrual, when she, when she went through a menstrual cycle even, Levitical law said that she was unclean so that she had obeyed herself to become clean. So for a woman to suffer with this for 12 consistent years, what that meant was that according to Jewish law, she was always unclean. We can assume, according to Jewish law, and this is eisegesis, this is our understanding of context and historical understanding kind of matched with scripture, doesn't say this, but we can assume that this woman had probably been divorced because of this issue. Because a man would have been legally obligated, because if he he ever was in the same room as her, he would be considered unclean. If she ever touched his food, he would be considered unclean. So we can assume that he probably divorced her. We know because of what Levitical law said that she would have been rejected by all of society. Her friends would have rejected her and said, We can't be with you anymore. We can't go to lunch anymore, we can't go to brunch, we can't eat with you, we can't, we can't talk to you, we can't meet on the street because if you touch us, we're unclean. What does unclean mean? It means you can't worship anymore, you can't go to the temple, you can't make sacrifice, you can't have any association with God. And in Jewish culture during Jesus' time, it was centered around the temple. Life was centered around the temple. If you couldn't go to the temple to worship, were you even really a Jew? So this woman, in experiencing this, experienced a rejection unlike we would understand. Completely put out of society, friends don't want to have anything to do with you. Family doesn't want to have anything to do with you. Probably her own kids, if she had kids, wouldn't want to have anything to do with her. Not only that, but she had been failed. In that day, the rabbis generally were the medical practitioners and she had gone to the rabbis to try to find healing. And she, the scripture tells us that she had spent all of her wealth, everything that she had to try to get healed, and they had failed her. The religious institution of the day had failed her. The doctors had failed her. They couldn't find any resource for her. They went through all these treatments. Now, some of these treatments are pretty jacked up. They're pretty weird. I thought I would pull a couple of them and read them to you to help you understand what she may have gone through. One of them was to take a gum of Alexandria, of Alum, and of Corcus partensis, the weight of a Zuzi each. This comes from Rabbi Jochanan. I don't know what a Zuzi is, but I guess it's a lot. Let them be bruised together and given in wine to the woman that hath the issue of blood. And so you would take all of these things, and alone was actually, it, it's actually used topically to stop bleeding, and so it kind of makes sense if you, if you bruise those things and put it in wine. Yeah, it, it makes a little sense, right? It makes a little sense. Put it in wine, drink it, maybe it'll stop the bleeding. But if this failed, take of Persian onions, nine logs. Now, when I saw this, I'm like, what? You're going to take nine onions? But no, Persian onion is actually the next slide here. Uh, it's the next little plant. And so take nine logs. Just take the stems. Take nine stems and go ahead and bruise them. Boil them in wine. Give it to her to drink and say, arise from thy flux. Because that always works. Arise from thy flux. And maybe that will heal her. But if this fails, and this is where it gets really fun. Let me read this to you. Send her to a place where two ways meet. In other words, a place where roads cross. And let her hold a cup of wine in her hand, because wine always does that. I don't know. And let somebody come behind her and affright her and say, Arise, as I flush. In other words, have her go stand where two roads meet, holding wine, and come up behind her and go, Boom! Don't bleed anymore. I don't think sir. So. Now listen. In all seriousness, I did hear that perhaps this doctor who had come up with this remedy has been leading the research on COVID, and at first it was also part of the vaccination process. Uh, I've not confirmed, no, I'm just kidding. y'all. <laughs> this is idea that doctors had no idea how to solve it, they had no idea how to fix this. They just kept trying thing after thing and wasting her money, wasting her time. And now all of a sudden she comes to Jesus because she hears and listen there's this guy and he's different he's different Man, he talks different, he looks different now, now some believe that Jesus was actually considered a rabbi, in fact the disciples called him rabbi teacher, even some of the Pharisees and teachers of religious law called him rabbi, good teacher that he may have been trained in Hebrew culture, to be a rabbi. And so Jesus was also known as somebody who acted different. He looked different than the normal church of the day. He looked different than the normal Christian of the day. So here's this woman who's broken. She's confused. She's lonely. She's abandoned. She's lost, crushed, isolated. He hears that there's this guy that's different. There's this guy who's a rabbi and he doesn't treat people the same way. He's got genuine love. He can heal people. People who are different when they walk away from them. So she says to herself, if I can only touch the hem of his garment, Why? Because the ambiance that people need in this world is the presence of God. This is the ambiance the world needs. Let me tell you, the world doesn't need our fancy lights. They don't need our pretty songs. They don't need our eloquent preaching. They don't need our beautiful buildings and our cafe and our coffee and all this. They don't need that stuff. What the world needs is the ambiance of the presence of God.
1: Because while all this stuff is great,
0: it doesn't change it. But the presence of God. Oh. See, the presence of the God that we serve, oh man, it can change something. See, the presence of the God that we serve, it breaks the progression of sin. What is the progression of sin? Well, we see it. We've talked about it a little bit this morning. You've heard it all throughout the message. The progression of sin is this idea of loneliness. That three in five Americans right now are suffering from loneliness. This is the progression of sin. It's the consequence, the result of sin. The hole in our heart that God created for Him to be in, where we have rejected Him and pushed Him away, it creates this spot for loneliness. What else is the progression of sin? Depression. Depression. Where one in five Americans, according to the CDC, suffer with depression. One in five of every American is suffering with some form of depression right now. And COVID hasn't made it any better. Or how about suicide? 123 Americans every day commit suicide. That's one every 12 minutes every 12 minutes. Five an hour. An hour and a half that we're sitting here, it'll be eight people that have lost their life because they killed us. That's eight people who go into eternity, many of them without Jesus as their Savior, broken because of the progression of sin. Broken because of what this world brings. How about addiction? But 21 million Americans, are estimated by the CDC, struggle or suffer with at least one addiction. And understand this is the world's terminology, so they don't consider things like pornography and addiction. They don't, they, they don't consider things like, like sex addiction, addiction, addiction. They're just talking about drugs and alcohol. That's all they're talking about. 21 million Americans. Our world is broken. They're looking for something. They're looking for someone. They're going to every source that they can. And they run to American Idol. Will that satisfy me? They, they, they They run to their favorite sitcom. Will that satisfy me? They run to their phone or their tablets. Will that satisfy me? But we know because we experienced it this morning that the only thing that changes everything is the presence of God. Because the presence of God takes that progression of
1: sin. It takes the consequences of sin and it just,
0: it, it breaks it. It breaks it. See, God breaking sin in our life, it doesn't make us better than the world. It just makes us whole. See, you and I have been set free. You and I have experienced His presence. In some places, they believe that that makes them better. And we stick our nose up. You know, been in church like that? Stick our nose up at those who are walking in at the prostitute that needs to come into the church because, hey, listen, I'm better than that because I'm, I'm holy. Listen, it doesn't, make you, it doesn't make you better. It makes you whole. God's presence makes, presence makes us whole. And so God's presence calls us to give wholeness calls us to give, what we've what we received. Why? Because his presence cancels the cancellations. know we've got this whole cancel culture thing going on. Everybody's getting canceled. Y'all been canceled yet? No, not yet? Oh, just wait, it's coming. You think I'm joking. The church will get canceled. People of God who stand up to be people of God will get canceled. You stand up for love and stand up for what you believe, you will get canceled, Jesus did. He said, as my follower, you can expect the same treatment. We will get canceled. Listen, if you're here, if you're here to make everything go away and everything be all hunky-dory, that's the wrong reason to be here. If you're here because there's a God who will walk with you through everything, then that's the right reason to be here. Not everything's going to go away. This is not an easy gospel. He's called us to live for him and run for him. This is not consumerism. This is not all about me. It's not all about me getting healed. It's not all about me leaving my rejection behind. But maybe yet it is, because maybe it's about me getting my eyes off of the rejection and onto the one who's accepted me. Maybe it's about me getting my eyes off of my sickness and onto the one who's the healer. It. Maybe it's about me getting my eyes away from what I'm going through. And maybe onto somebody else who needs to hear about the one who saved me. See, this is what it's all about. See, God's presence cancels the cancellation. This woman has been, has been canceled by her whole culture all of her life. Do you know anybody like that? Do you know anybody who's been rejected? Do you sit next to somebody in the cubicle? Do you sit next to somebody in the desk next door? Do you work in the classroom next to somebody who's been canceled by her family or their family? Do you, have you seen somebody at the Strawberry Festival who walks around dejected and lonely by themselves because they've been canceled by others? Because the presence of God that we're designed to carry cancels the cancellation. See, the presence of God that we're designed to carry, that God said, I want you to carry, I want you to take into the world, it cancels that cancellation. It says no longer are they canceled. We're called to go and step in and be the presence of God in their life. Why wow, God's presence cancels the cancellation. And see, here's what happens. When the cancel see the presence of God, When the broken see the presence of God, when they see a genuine representation of God's presence, they run to it. They're desperate for it. Why? Because they're looking for something real. Are we real this morning? They're looking for truth. Do we carry the truth this morning? They're looking for hope. Are we speaking hope this morning? Because they're looking for something. They're looking for Jesus. They're looking for the presence of God. See, when broken, sees God's presence demonstrated. It'll break all social norms to be exposed to the supernatural presence of God. When the broken see God's presence exposed, they're going to say, I don't care what this world says. I see something real. This is what this woman did. She had been canceled. Understand what that means. As Jesus was walking with his disciples in Middle Eastern culture, they didn't walk like we walk. I come down here for a second, Pastor. You know. So here's the thing. If Pastor Kyle and I are going to walk in the mall, this is probably how we're going to walk, right? So, <laughs> except he's got the poor walk and I don't. So this is not, you know, this is this is comfortable for us. What, what about this? A little bit shaky. A little bit shaky. What, what about this? See, here's the thing. As Jesus in the Middle East, as Jesus and his disciples walked. They didn't walk as far away as we walk. They walked close. And Jesus was surrounded by his disciples. So when this woman pushed through to touch the hem of his garment, she was also touching all the people that represented everyone who had canceled her. Because all these men are Jews. And as she touched them, as she touched them, she would have been making them unclean to Jewish law. According to Jewish law, they would no longer have been able to worship. But see, here's the thing, God's presence cancels the cancellation. God's presence changes everything. It changes everything. God's presence fixes everything. Why? You know, we're talking about miracles this morning, so what what really is a miracle? What really is a miracle? A miracle is the natural progression of sinful life being touched by the supernatural to go a different direction. That's what a miracle is. See, we have a natural progression of sin and of life. We have a natural progression that it will go. Sin will break us. Sin will destroy us. We see that all around our world. A miracle is God supernaturally breaking through that and saying, uh ah, ah, ah. you're not as broken as you thought let me heal. you. That's a miracle This is why salvation is a miracle This is why healing is a miracle There are miracles because it's supernatural God Breaking through the natural order of things Because of sin And restoring the supernatural to our lives This is what we need So let's look at what Jesus did How did Jesus bring God's presence Well first of all in order to bring God's presence to the world, you've got to go. Look at what Jesus did. Now notice, Jesus had just gotten off the boat. And he's approached by Jairus, a leader of the synagogue. And Jairus says, hey, listen, my daughter is sick. Can you come with me to my house? Now Jesus, knowing that he had within him the authority of God, had all reason and right to say, "Not you here. Put her on a map. You carry her here. I'll heal her here. But what did he do? He didn't stay where he was. He went to where she was. So maybe if we're supposed to picture ourselves in the story as Jesus and to put ourselves in his shoes, maybe we need to do what he did. Maybe, just maybe, we need to go. Maybe we can't stay here. See, God's presence was never intended to be stationary. You look at the original intent of God's presence, and when God, when God said, Let me come and dwell among the people of Israel, where did he dwell? In a tabernacle. He dwelt in a tabernacle. What's a tabernacle? It is a mobile building. It's a tent. Why? So that his presence could go from place to place to place. Wherever people needed him, his presence would go. You know whose idea it was for a temple? David. It was a man. It wasn't God's idea. David went to God and said, God, let me build you a house. Let me build you a house. And God said, Not you, but okay, we'll let your son build a house. But then in the New Testament, Even though there had been a house built, God changed everything. When Jesus died, the veil of the temple that separated the holy place from the holy of holies, that separated us from God's presence, the Bible tells us it was torn from floor to ceiling. Now this is about 20 foot tall. Ain't nobody can do that. But God. There's symbolism there. The symbolism is that, guess what? God escaped. He got out. Why? Because we're supposed to take God's presence to the world. We're supposed to go and take His presence.
1: 1 Corinthians
0: 6:19 says, "Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Guess what? God's back in mobile tabernacle mode. He says, "I get to go through you, everywhere the world needs my presence. Will we go? Everywhere the world needs my friend. Every place that's broken is our opportunity to expose people to the presence of God. And guess what? The presence of God changes everything. everything. It takes that which was broken and brings it back to life. It takes that which was dead and raises it up from its grave. We sung about it this morning. You turn rage into gardens. You turn mourning to dancing. You turn ashes to beauty. You're the only one who can, God. You're the only one who can. You're the only one who can. It's his presence that will take with us. Because his presence, he wants to come. He wants to go. See, it's a dark world, and it stays dark if you don't take the light with us. It's a cruel world, and it stays cruel when we don't take the, uh, the, the, the beauty and the love of God with us. It's a broken world, and it stays broken when we don't take the healer with us. So let me ask the hard question here. Where is God's presence in our life? Because God never intended to dwell within these four walls. But sometimes that's the only place we interact with His presence. His presence is meant to be with you everywhere you go. And if His presence is with you, so is His power. Because see, Jesus, when he went, he didn't just go, that he went in power. How do we know this? How do we know he went in power? Well, he, he was in power. Because it, it literally tells us that Jesus realized at once when the woman had touched him that healing power had gone out from him. It tells us that he turned around the crowd and asked him, who touched my robe? Because in order for us to go in power, we have to be in power. We have to carry the power and the presence of God. Now, the presence of God changes everything because by its very nature, the presence of God is powerful. You won't create that power. There's no prayer we can say. There's no thing. There's no incantation. It doesn't work like that. How does it work then? Trusting Him. Amen. So here's the thing. When you go, if you go showing and demonstrating his presence, what's his presence? Well, let me ask you, are we loving people like we should? Are we Are we speaking kind to people like we should? Are we having grace on people? Are we forgiving people like we should? Because when we go like that, we're going to look different from the world. When we're not canceling somebody because they messed up, we're going to look different from the world. And somebody will look at you and say, I see something different about you. You know what they see? God's presence. See, when that person in the, in, in the next desk over insults you and you don't cancel them and turn them off and you don't start talking about them to your coworkers, what do they see? They see God's presence. When they see God's presence, they desire to be exposed more to God's presence. Why? Because they sense there's something different. There's power. There's power. Are we exposing God's presence? See, too often in our churches, we become consumer Christians. Let's just say it real. The reason why, as Americans, we always put ourselves in the woman with the issue of blood shoes is because we all want God to fix us and to make life smoother, better. Right? Let me tell you, I'm tired of being a consumer Christian. I'm tired of just coming to church expecting for something to be fixed in me. How about I have a mission to carry the presence of God and go out in the world and see God do something in somebody else and it's okay if I still have to put up with being jacked up. It's okay if I still get rejected. It's okay if I hurt a little bit. Why? Because I'm going to carry the presence of God out there. And I'm going to see God do something out there. I'm going to see God change somebody. But see, here's the thing. Whatever is inside of us will come out. That's that old adage. Gatorade is an idiot. Is it envy? Jesus, Jesus talked about it, and he said, "Out, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth." What's in us? Is it anger? Is it bitterness? Is it hate? Is it envy? <clears throat> or is it love? Is it the power of God? What is it that's in us? See, in order for us to be empowered, we have to determine what's in us and ask God to fix what's inside of us. We spend more time asking God to fix what's outside and too little time asking God to fix what's inside. But I think God is so desperate to fix what's inside so that we can see everyone that's outside change. See, those people that fought, fought shortcake from you yesterday, the day before. You know the ones? The ones who you had just watched sitting at the table having an argument with their spouse. The ones that you had just watched chew their kids out in anger. The ones that you had just watched with the, this mean, cruel look on their face because they're just ticked that they got to do See, those people need exposure to the presence of God presence of God, he says, rest me. Because see, here's the thing. We can put ourselves in Jesus' shoes in this story. But we're not Jesus. I'm not Jesus. Are y'all Jesus? No. But here's the beautiful thing. Christ's nature dwells within us. Not because I'm anything special or because we all have it. We don't. But because he's called us to be his. And because he's given us his presence and his nature. He's created in us a new nature that looks like him. See, his presence and his nature to change the world rests in you. And only his nature will change the world. And here's the thing the world will change us unless we allow Jesus to change them through this. It's really interesting. I'm going to get deep theologically. Can I get deep theologically with you for a second? It's really interesting as we look at the Levitical law. According to Levitical law, when that woman touched Jesus, Jesus should be made unclean. But do you know what happened? Jesus wasn't made unclean. He wasn't made unholy. Now, in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament understanding, in the Old Testament law, there are three states of any one thing. Uh, a thing is either holy, common, or unclean. Okay? Anything unclean can taint something that is, that is holy or common. It can taint that and make it unclean. As people, we don't produce Holiness. What do we produce? Uncleanness. By our very nature, we are sinful beings. We produce sin. We produce unholiness, uncleanness. See, there's a reason why Jesus changed her and she didn't change him. Because the nature and the presence of God produces holiness. It is, by its very nature, holy. God is holy. Different. So when she touched him, it wasn't him that was changed, it was her. What about us? What happens when the world touches us? See, if Jesus isn't resting and dwelling in us, we will be changed and we will be sucked right now into the way the world operates. Into this unholiness, empowered by the Holy Spirit. We're empowered by God. When we touch them, the holiness of God touches them. They've got changed. They are. They are. And this is Jesus' design. If you look at Mark chapter 6, verses 7 through 13, Jesus actually sent out the disciples to do this work. In the very next chapter. They had just watched it's the next chapter after we read. It. They, they had just watched Jesus heal this woman. They had watched Jesus heal Jairus' daughter. They have watched Jesus cast out a demon, and this is what happened. He called his 12 disciples together and began sending them out two by two, giving them authority to cast out evil spirits. He told them to take nothing for their journey except a walking stick, no food, no traveler's bag, no money. He allowed them to wear sandals, but not even to take a change of clothes. He said, wherever you go, stay in the same house until you leave town. But if any place refuses to welcome you or listen to you shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show that you've abandoned those people their faith. So the disciples went out and listened to what happened, telling everyone they meant to repent of their sins and turn to God. And they cast out many demons and healed many sick people, anointing them with olive oil. Listen, the world needs to see miracles. They need to experience the presence of God. And Jesus sent out the disciples saying, Hey, listen, go. Do it. Cast out demons. See the lame walk. Raise your blessed assurance within four walls, but go, go. I've been in the church world all my life. I've never been times where I've wondered, why don't we see the type of miracles that they saw back then? And then I go overseas, I go overseas. And you know what I see overseas? I see the type of miracles that they saw back then. I've seen, I've watched, I've prayed over people, and deaf ears opened. I've I've watched it happen. I've watched legs, where where somebody, uh, they they destroyed and tore up their knee, and I watched her as she ran up a hill the next day, ran up a hill without a brace on the next day. God desires to do miracles. He desires for his presence. That changes everything to touch the simple nature that's in our world, but He's waiting for His people to carry His presence and go, to go, to go into the Strawberry Festival and see the lame walk, to see the blind see, to watch the brokenhearted be healed and loved and accepted. To walk into your job and not be afraid to walk up to that person at the next desk over. As you see the brace on their foot and begin to pray and ask them to, hey, can I pray for you? Because I believe in God who can heal us. What we be the ones to do Because he said he would go with us. In fact, later on in the book of John, chapter 14, verse 12, it says this. Tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, and even greater. And even greater. And even greater. Get this one. And even greater. Greater than what? Greater than the works that Jesus did while he was on earth. And even greater. Now, theologians argue about what that greater means. Does it mean more powerful, or does it mean more in number? Doesn't matter. He said, even greater. question to ask for this morning. Whose shoes do you find yourself in this morning? Do you find yourself in the shoes of the woman with the issue of blood? And man, there are some moments where we're like that, where we come in and we're like, man, man, Jesus, I I am messed up. I've got broken this me. I I need your touch. I need your presence. Let me challenge some of us this morning, because some of us, we don't find ourselves in those shoes. You're stepping into the shoes of Jesus so that you can go out there and carry his presence to the world. See, I have to ask this question. Does that which is in me make the world desperate for him? Does what is in me make the world desperate? and I'm not close to that. I don't have a relationship with Jesus. You know, this morning is the day that can't change everything. Why? Because His presence is here. His presence is here and He wants a relationship with you. So right where you are, every head bowed, every eye closed very quickly. I want to embarrass you, but I do want to ask. You say, I don't have a relationship with Jesus and I need one this morning. Right where you are, I want you just to raise your hand and wave it at me. I just want to pray with I'm not going to embarrass you.